Hey guys, Austin Craig here. I'm producer of the latest show from Mission called Hidden in Plain Sight. Hidden in Plain Sight is a new podcast narrated by Sophia Bush that shares how some of the world's most ambitious minds are using data to overcome the most serious global problems. If you like Mission Daily, technology, business, and you want a glimpse into the future of problem solving, then you'll love Hidden in Plain Sight. I can't tell you how excited the whole team here at Mission is to share this show with you. And to get you even more pumped, today's episode of Mission Daily features an interview with Sophia Bush herself. If you like what you hear and you want to hear more from Sophia, subscribe to Hidden in Plain Sight today on Apple Podcasts, your favorite podcast app, or by following the link in the show notes. Enjoy! All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Mission Daily. This is Stephanie Postles. And today we are joined by, of course, Chad Grills and a special guest, Sophia Bush. Hi Sophia. Guys. Hey, Thanks for up? coming on. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Yeah. Maybe, Chad, you want to give a little background on what we were up to today? We're in L.A. recording with Sophia yes. and it's been a blast. What are we doing here? So we're recording season one of Hidden in Plain Sight. And we put this together, what, six months ago? Yeah. We started working on the project. Yep. And recently, we were trying to decide on a narrator. We talked to Splunk. We talked with our team. And we talked with CAA, who's been an awesome partner. And here we are. So, Sophia, what was your favorite part of today or the project? Or what really sticks in the back of your mind after all the scripts, which she read 10 scripts today, flew through them, and now we are about to get out early because of that. But what stuck with you? I mean, I do really love a sound booth, and doing (laughs) ADR efficiently is my spiritual gift. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to do it today. Oh, definitely. I think something that stands out to me, to your point, you know, we're we're both at CAA, and they sent me the email, and literally my agent went, you are the biggest data science nerd that I know, and I know you're going to want to do this and be the narrator for this podcast series on tech innovation and and the functionality of data and the evolution of innovation in the space. And I was like, I don't, yes, what is it? Tell me just <laughs> when. You know, I was really, really jazzed. And obviously looking through the the deck that I got to see about the project, these are the kinds of conversations I want to be having. And Awesome. We talked a little bit before we got started recording today for you guys at home who didn't get to be with us in our in our prehang about the fact that there's been so much ballooning innovation in the space and and because so many of us don't have the touch points to it that some of these bigger tech companies do, we've seen a lot of the negative usages of data mining and of data science happen in the world recently. Sure. You know, um, subject of the great hack, looking at what happened with Cambridge Analytica, for example, and, and the way that it subverted the American democratic process. It's incredibly important that we as a citizenry have more transparency into these systems because the inverse of something like a, like a Cambridge Analytica is the incredible life-changing, life-saving, humanity-bolstering tech that's being created right now and the ways that our data can actually save lives and eradicate disease and and hopefully save the environment and thus us there's so much goodness to explore so being able to voice your your show and talk about the ways that data and tech are doing amazing things definitely it gave me the boost i needed today for sure so i'm excited to do that for the audience awesome yeah us too and we you know we were talking beforehand and i got really excited because in our conversations i could hear 
that a lot of the themes that were going to be in the episodes were things that you were interested in, you were passionate about. And it's so easy to forget, you know, we get drowned in media that's based on about, you know, fear, uncertainty and doubt on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, we're really trying to create something that's an alternative that creates new models, new paths for people who are passionate about this to get involved. And we were talking earlier about, you know, why aren't people on the streets, like in Hong Kong? Why aren't mm. people getting really, really active? So it's a good reminder that there are people in the world who they don't, have, they might not have a spotlight on them, but they're starting to get active. So anything we can do to support them mm-hmm. is really exciting. And I think to your point, so much of the news does feel negative. You know, watching the nightly news now is sort of like watching a cage match. It's <laughs> yeah. designed to traumatize us in a way because people are very reactive when they're afraid. And so to be able to, thanks to technology, thanks to spaces like podcasting, tell good stories, positive stories, inspiring stories. I know that today after reading through these 10 episodes, I feel more inspired than ever. And I think we're living in a world right now that that really is thirsty for inspiration. Yeah. And I think they just heard big problems for so long, they feel like it's not something they can tackle. I mean, you hear human trafficking, you hear things about cryptocurrency being used in other countries, climate change, and you're like, well, what can I do? as a single person to actually impact things. Mm -hmm. And I think this whole series shows that you actually can impact these huge problems Mm -hmm. in your own way. And I think it's really good, too, to shine a light on people who are doing such incredible work. You know, we have an episode highlighting what's going on with deforestation and the destabilization of environments, because when our ecosystems crumble, the ability to sustain human life crumbles. That feels very depressing. But we, together, get to highlight the work being done to reinvigorate those ecosystems, to enliven them again. And I think it gives people like me who are passionate about the environment, for example, somewhere to direct that energy and somewhere where you can go to help. Because the best thing to do when you see a problem in the world is not to feel that natural thing, which is I'm one person, what can I do about it? But it is to say, I'm going to go help the helpers. Sure. And this series highlights so many helpers yeah. that, that so many of us can then learn about, research a little bit about, find an organization around the world to support or an organization in our community to go and volunteer with. And that's how we affect change. That's when every single one of us really, really does matter as an individual. And I'm excited again, in a time where so many stories seem negative, to be offering these positive spaces for people to learn something new and then be able to sign up to be part of the cause. Yep. Yeah. And it seems like education is key. I mean, a couple of our episodes touched on that, but you were talking about a story about um, child trafficking before, if you want to maybe touch on that again. Yeah. I I wish that I could find the article and I will. I'll, I'll look for it and maybe we can plug it in at the end of the episode if I can find it before this goes to to air. We'll put it in the show notes. I'm sure we can. Okay, that'd be great. Um, But a friend sent me an article. We were having a conversation about how there is a company that's beginning to help train uh, flight attendants and pilots on the signs of human trafficking and how every one of them, when they begin the training, says, well, it's never happened on one of my flights. And by the end of the training, every single one of them says, I've seen this and I can't believe I didn't know. And they spoke uh, to one flight attendant who, after this series of trainings, was able to, in mid-flight, recognize, make contact with a minor, affirm that that minor was, in fact, 
the victim of trafficking and alert authorities on the ground so that when the plane landed, that minor was rescued. And it gives me the chills just to think about how much each of us could be participatory in life-saving moments like that if only we had access to the tech and the training. Mm -hmm. And it's such a reminder that we've got to go out and support the organizations doing that work and encourage our lawmakers to fund the organizations doing that work sure. so that we can really change, course correct even modern society. Yeah. yeah. And so many of those organizations and institutions too, they offer that training, they offer, uh, they're basically open sourcing it now. So whether you mm-hmm. want to join one of those companies or learn more about it, it's easy to feel like, oh, I don't have all the money in the world. I can't support financially, uh, but you can support just by educating yourself and then being vigilant and uh, talking with your friends about it, discussing it, um, asking them about it. Because you know these are issues that if they haven't happened to you, chances are there's somebody near you where they have happened to them. So you know, just talk about it more with your friends and see what they think, see what their ideas are. Because these problems are horrible, but they're also a way to connect with your friends, with your family. Yeah, really do something that matters with your time. Yeah. yeah. And I think something a lot of people, even myself, have gotten into the trap of thinking is that other people are solving this. Other people know how to target human traffickers. Other people know how to solve, you know, um, land degradation. And I think it's important to actually realize that actually, no, there's anyone can help with this problem. I think you've even talked about this before when attending military events of, you know, you always think that the military has the answers. They're protecting us. They they're know the looking answers. for the answers. Yeah, and they're like, looking for good people yeah. to, you know, step up, volunteer. It's not easy though, right? Because these are really challenging situations and there's no guarantee of safety. That's one of the, the hardest parts about tackling all these problems. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you knew what was going to happen, it couldn't really be exciting. And um, there's always going to be some risk involved, but that's part of the fun of, you know, standing up, having the courage to speak out or, um, yeah, maybe do something. So maybe to pivot a bit, because this was a pretty intense series that we did cover in season one. Yeah. I want to pivot into what you're excited about right now, what you're working on, your mm. new projects. I'd love to hear kind of what does the day look like for you right now? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Days are pretty crazy. It's interesting because I've been working on the production end of things and, you know, the world of research and development is wild, whether it's for a tech company or you're trying to make a movie or a TV show. And so I've got a comedy in development. I've got a one-hour drama in development. I have a feature in development. I just made a feature film with Alana Glazer that she and her writing partner wrote. And I'm just one of her biggest fans. Obviously, Broad City was one of the most brilliant comedy shows ever on TV. And the movie is not funny. It's actually very frightening. But we had such a fantastic time making it. And so I'm very excited for that to finish its edit and and to come out probably in, in 2020. And then I'm actually, I'm so excited I can finally talk about this. I've been working on it for months. Some of my, you know, my fans and followers who might be listening know what a little journalistic brain I have. And I was telling you guys earlier, you know, there was this really amusing moment where I was talking to my parents and my mom said, remember that time you got into a really small theater conservatory? You know, like they accepted 14 of you for that calendar year and then you dropped out to go to journalism school. I was like, (laughs) yes, I do, in fact. But it was the journalism and political science that really fulfilled me as a person and inspired me to tell stories. And over the years, you know, a decade plus as a as an activist and working in political landscapes and traveling the globe to assess water crises and and boundaries to education and in particular education access for girls, the circles of 
interesting, world-changing people that I am lucky enough to spend time in, I get asked a lot of questions about. And I realized I get to sit and have a lot of really interesting conversations like the ones we had today, but they're often not public. And after I did enough interesting podcasts and enough people said to me, why don't you have a podcast? This is this is your spiritual gift. Like you think it's ADR, but it's actually this. <laughs> I think I finally got over my, I don't know if it was my fear or my imposter syndrome or what. And I, and I said, okay. And so I've launched my podcast. Uh, it's called Work in Progress. Love the name. Thank That's you. Great. Yeah. You know, it's interesting too, because here's a weird thing. I, I have so much data on what is effective uh, in my own activism and in the things I've shared, you know, good and bad and success and failure and all of that. And for whatever reason, one thing that I said has been shared at like a 10,000 X multiplier to every other thing I've ever said. And everything I've ever said is on the internet, whether it's been accurately or misquoted and both are true. (laughs) But years ago, I was asked to sort of look back and offer some advice to to like a younger version of myself and I said something that I think I needed to hear and I realized so many other women and and men and and people needed to hear which was in regard to trying to be a little more present and be proud of what we've done while goal setting and I said you are allowed to be both a masterpiece and a work in progress simultaneously. I love it. Yeah, that's great. And that quote... The union of opposites, right? Yes, but it's yeah. like that quote has been... It has been like Pinterested to death. People make <laughs> art of it. I was like, man, I was really channeling my, my wiser <laughs> self that day. And so I thought about how in this culture, so many of us live on screens. And through a screen, it looks like everybody else has it figured out and we're the only ones who might be struggling or confused or reassessing our priorities or changing careers or whatever. But every single person I know feels like a work in progress, even though we think they all look like masterpieces. And we need to apply that reality to them and to ourselves. And so the podcast is work in progress because I get to interview all these people who are so amazing from the outside. They're the masterpiece on the 2D screen. You know, you look at them on Instagram and you go, that person knows things and they do. But to sit and talk to people like Gloria Steinem and Jay Shetty and Evan McMullen and Shannon Watts and Chelsea Handler and so many more about how they got where they are and what they're still working on, to talk about their personal lives, their professional careers, to get political with those who dare with me because, shocker, I'm obsessed (laughs) with systems and figuring out how to make the world a better place. It's just the most fun I've ever had doing anything. And it's so important, right? Because the media presents the end result of all that, the hard work, all the crazy stories, all the self-doubt, all the traumatic experiences. And kind of talking about those is important because a lot of people out there might feel disempowered because they don't see an entry point or a way that they could ever achieve something similar. When in reality, you know, they might be at a similar place. Maybe they just got fired. Maybe they just had like their heart broken. But how people got there is generally the same. It's all, it's struggle, it's hard work. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's exciting. Are these long form conversations or are these, how how long are you talking they to people? They are, yeah. I, I assumed they'd be around an hour. I don't think any conversation has really been shorter than 90 minutes. And 
Evan McMullen and I, our conversation was just so interesting. You know, I, I affectionately call him my favorite Republican. He's this fascinating man. You I know, didn't think I would ever hear yeah. you say that. He, he was the, he was the <laughs> foreign policy director for yeah. the GOP. He's former CIA ops. He runs Stand Up Republic. He is, you know, he grew up Mormon in Utah. Like, we have very different life experience, but we're very dear friends. And, it, and he's one of my favorite people to really gnash things with. And... We, we just talked about everything. We were in this conversation. We were vibing in the thing. And I figured we'd been talking for like maybe a little over two hours. I thought we've got, we should wrap it up. This has really been a long conversation. And when we stopped recording, we looked at the time clock and we'd been speaking for three hours and 11 minutes. <laughs> and I just looked at my engineer and I went, I don't, what do we? And he was like, I don't think we can cut any of it. I don't know what to say. Yeah, don't cut it. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. so good. It's just <laughs> such an interesting chat and it i think he's one of those people that some people out there might not expect me to call a friend or to have a public conversation with and it's such a wonderful reminder of how important truth is and how important it is to look out for each other regardless of the minutia of how we might feel about smaller things the humanity should really always be the point that should always be the place where we meet each other and you know i think i think about that that roomy quote when he says you know out beyond what is it out beyond the right and wrong doings or whatever logic or something there's a field i'll meet you there and it's like the field should always be us and we should always be willing to go beyond the points on which we disagree and return to the reality of us as a society and solve problems and compromise from there. And I'm hoping that that conversation and that so many of the other ones will, you know, will be motivating in that way. I, I just am so appreciative of and enamored by so many of the people that that I've gotten to speak to so far. I love that. Love that yeah. yeah. Especially the idea of bringing, showing people that you might not think that I would talk to this person because yeah. right now it feels so divisive. And so like if someone is a Republican or Democrat, I won't talk to them at all if they're yeah. not whatever I am. And it's so nice hearing that like at the end of the day, we're all people mm-hmm. and that's where it should start. It doesn't start with these labels mm-hmm. and what someone believes in because maybe you should talk to them and figure out why they believe in it. Maybe it'll yeah, influence just, your ideas. You start with labels. It's uh, tricky to have a three hour conversation mm-hmm. with someone. Right. And that dialogue is, is really exciting because, you know, with the podcast medium and um, new media technologies, we have this opportunity now where the costs are falling and we can create a digital copy of, you know, giving an example to others of what that dialogue looks like. Mm-hmm. And I get really hopeful when I think about that because dialogue is how we solve our problems, right? Like mm-hmm. we're not going to collaborate. We're not going to come together and solve anything until we can get good at talking to each other, having patience. And um, it takes practice, right? And uh, yeah. the good news is like the more examples we can put out there in digital form, I think the more that this scales and we'll be able to solve a lot of the problems that feel crazy right now. So these areas that you're in, activism and politics, mm-hmm. what brought you here? What was your childhood like or what experiences did you have back in the day where you knew like this is the kind of stuff I want to work on? I think that so much of it is rooted in the privilege I had as a kid of growing up in California. Growing up in Los Angeles, my dad is an immigrant. My mom's grandmother immigrated to the U.S. through Ellis Island. So my mom is the first generation American in her family. And I had this understanding of, 
you know, the American dream. And the way my parents raised me, it was for everyone. And Los Angeles is a very diverse community in, in culture and in race and food and experience. My dad is an artist and, you know, he's been a photographer for 50 years. And so I grew up in a very diverse and very queer and very artistic community. And I remember as a child when the AIDS crisis struck and people who we were very close to started dying, also hearing, as I think you do, you know, like we were getting into the 90s and I was a little kid at school and and little kids can be horrible when there's anything, you know, anyone is different. And I remember hearing things that were being said, parroted, obviously, by kids um, whose parents were either ignorant or prejudiced about the AIDS crisis. And I, I knew it. And I knew those people. And I was so angry that anyone could could be looking at anything other than the humanity of people who are suffering. And in the same way that that fired me up from a very early age, the environment fired me up from a very early age because I grew up playing in the ocean and hiking in forests and spending time in the desert, that is the privilege of the California experience. Nature is in us and around us all the time. And this idea that we weren't protecting it, I remember I had this box set of six films from National Geographic and they they were in this little like faux leather brown box, six VHS tapes. And the VHS tape on the Amazon I watched so many times I burned through the tape eventually and I would just sob and my parents didn't know what to do with these big feelings I was having but I was looking at my parents saying we're cutting down the Amazon rainforest. The earth depends on this. I knew this as a child just because I was curious and and because I luckily had the privilege of owning National Geographic videos and parents who filled me with that kind of knowledge. They provided those things for me. I had exposure to environmental education and, and to reading and, and to human beings who were different than me. And so when I started working in entertainment and, and realizing that I could use my platform to take these conversations out of friend groups and out from around the dinner table and into the world, my parents were like, thank God you finally have a place to put this. Because like you brought home every stray dog. You wanted to do every fundraiser. You tried. I started a beach cleanup club in the sixth grade. Nobody wanted to clean up the beach with me. So my mom would drive me to Santa Monica by myself. You know, they were just like, we're so relieved you have somewhere to put this. Um, So that, that was always in me. And while I don't expect everybody to be as obsessed with the things I'm obsessed with, I should hope that we all are fired up enough to take action about something. The world needs us. We have to be vigilant. And the interesting thing is that I think people can think of the word activism or the word vigilance or, you know, uh, the word volunteering, fundraising, and those things feel intense. People go, ugh. But actually, they're the things that give you the most life. Yeah. They're the things that when I look back at my favorite memories since my career began, it's it's all it's all the activism. It's all the marches. It's all of that because that has to do with who I am. My job, I love, but my job is what I do. I never want to not do it. I never want to stop storytelling. But 
who I am is fed. My community is created out of the the greatest sort of love I experience in the world comes from serving. And I hope that everybody gets to have the experience of service in whatever arena it is that gives them that passion fire that I have for the things I care so deeply about. I hope everyone gets to experience that so that they can feel so deeply alive and so deeply connected to their neighbors and and to their country. I just think it's actually the most energizing and inspiring and, and recharging experience. It feels like medicine. I mean, anytime I'm down, I mean, this is the one thing you can count on reliably. And no matter how down you might be, the second you get into that service mindset and you actually do something, Mm -hmm. I know I always feel better. And then you forget how good it's possible to feel just Mm -hmm. by, you know, a small act of kindness or service. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that maybe makes it hard for people is to think about how to, you know, allocate your time and mm-hmm. how do you actually get that balance right? So are there any things that you do in your life to kind of get that balance right or make time for the things that are important, even when it feels like you don't have yeah, time? Or just to set boundaries in your life so you do have time for all those things that are important. Yeah. Oh, wow. God, I constantly feel like I'm failing, like my to-do list is too <laughs> long and like I have no idea how I'm going to get it all done. I think that that's systemic. I think a lot of people feel that way. But something that's really been helping it's me... True. I just established, and everyone can do their personal version of this, but I established a personal version of a, of a quiz of eight yes or no questions. And I put everything through it now. I put every single thing that could go on my calendar, every meeting, every event, every political action forum, every conference I'm asked to speak at, everything goes through this filter. And if there are four no's, I do not do it no matter what. I just don't. And that's that's beginning to give me back a little bit of time. I watched this TED Talk that happened at TED this year on sleep and the importance of sleep. And that really, it hit me in such an intense way because I think I too have fallen victim to that ultimate cultural lie of like, I'll sleep when I'm dead. You know, who cares? I got to work harder. And it's like, well, hasn't that been perpetuated by like these giant mega corporations that are actually literally working people to death and convincing us we're worthless if we're not working ourselves to death we need to stop all of us need to sleep so i'm really i want to be getting eight hours a night i'm really trying to prioritize a minimum of seven and i notice that that changes things because i'm less apt to make bad decisions when i'm rested definitely i'm less apt to push myself too hard when i'm rested i'm prioritizing my physical health again that really went out the window for me too from from being overworked and from overworking myself. And so I have a hard commitment of three days a week. I go to the gym and it's a non-negotiable. I don't move that. And that was always a non-negotiable. My self-care was always the first thing to go out the window for my whole life. So I'm making some changes look growth. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think about what else. I do find also that scheduling in time for well-being is important. So I've started scheduling time to do red light therapy and time to meditate. And I just committed actually with a group of friends uh, last week. A group of artists and creatives went on this retreat together and we were like, okay, it's time to level up. What are we doing? And a group of us committed to doing some kind of outdoor in nature activity together once a week. So important. And that that just feels like an impossible. I'm like, who has time? And and then I thought, if I can't make 
time, if I can't take four hours out of one week to go, one day a week to go be in the trees, what am I doing? You know, so those things, it takes discipline. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It's not easy. I've really fallen behind on TV that I want to watch, but I realize that that's not the most nourishing thing for me, which I understand is ironic since I make TV shows. <laughs> um, but I, I've just had to get a little more real with myself about how I spend my time. Are there any tips or strategies you use when you haven't done something in such a long time period, whether it's like meditation or you haven't gone to the gym in a long period of time? How do you get yourself out of that funk? Because it can feel like, what's the point? Like, what's the point in going back now? I haven't gone for a year or I haven't gone for... so hard. And I I had a really gnarly injury and it was a couple of injuries at once and and one was sort of more threatening. So so the injury that actually wound up being the most persistent and uh, incapacitating for me went undiagnosed for a really long time because we were paying attention to my like potential life-threatening head injury <laughs> and not really paying attention to everything else, which I understand. Triage, like I get it. But I didn't work out for almost two years because I couldn't. I had torn ligaments in my hip. I was in excruciating pain every time I'd try to work out. It would get worse. I didn't know what was going on. And I, again, was in this sort of self-care goes to the bottom of the list space where I felt like I had so much to do that I wasn't prioritizing even getting it diagnosed. And when I started going to physical therapy, my physical therapist was the one who sort of shook some sense into me. I was like, what do you mean you haven't been to a specialist? What do you mean you haven't had an MRI? What have you been doing? And I thought, oh, God. I would never let a friend of mine treat their body this way. Why am I treating my body this way? So getting back into sort of diagnosis and healing was a really big deal for me. And it's so easy when you haven't done it to be like, eh, screw it. I'm going to eat that bad thing and I'm going to not sleep. And I've already, I'm this far and, you know, I'm, I'm this much more out of shape than I was two years ago. So what, how right. am I ever going to yeah. get back? It's such a self-defeatist thing. And I think when you realize that that is just an extension of that self-doubt voice that every single one of us has. Like, I don't know where yours is. Mine is like right over and behind my left ear. That's where that chirping voice feels like it comes in for me. Sure. (laughs) That person who lives in my head, I really don't like her. I'm working on an eviction strategy. (laughs) And part of that strategy for me was about, I understand that I... I'm not as healthy as I used to be, but how dare I not recognize the privilege that I live in to live in an abled body to, on the relative scale of being in physical shape, I'm still pretty freaking strong. I'm still pretty thin. I'm still like all these things that are sort of rewarded by society. I am lucky enough to possess and how dare I treat this body badly because it doesn't live up to some ridiculous standard that's been thrust down my throat and the throats of every other woman in America to make us feel bad about ourselves. Like, I'm still doing pretty good here. And the fact that I can exercise, the fact that I can go to rehab for my hip, the fact that I can, who am I not to? It feels like a, at least for me, a, a thing that I had to sort of jolt myself out of and and then I committed to a strategy. And I didn't do the thing where I said, I'm going to work out six days a week. Like, I'm sorry, that's just not happening. Yeah. It's, no, it's not happening. Yeah. But I, could, I felt like a three-day-a-week goal was a real attainable goal. Sure. And I set it and I've kept to it. 
And that is exciting. And that, I think, is how you then start to want to work out on a fourth day. You start to, when you're working out, you start making better choices about what you're eating. And when you're making better choices about what you're eating, you start thinking about your sleep. And when you start thinking about your sleep, you think about meditating. And it's all really tied together. And and so sometimes I think that the most important thing we can do is to pick one thing to fix. You fix one cog in the machine and the machine runs differently. So just pick one thing. Sure. Because yeah. otherwise it feels insurmountable. I, I know that it feels insurmountable for me. And that that, Same. Yeah. that yeah. Like, tiny evil lady who lives over my left ear is constantly telling me that I'm doing it wrong and that I'm not enough and that I'm I'm slacking. And it's like, I have to do things to shut her up. So I fixed one thing and then it became two things. And now I'm kind of working on three things and, you know, I'm proving her wrong. Yeah, yeah I, I think what that. you hinted at is uh, such good advice, which is basically like action is always going to win over that voice. That voice might always be there. It might mm-hmm. you know, be hard to quiet down. But the second you start taking action, uh, things start looking up and then you have a track record, which is inspiring and all that stuff. Yeah, And the reminder of like, how lucky are you? No matter who you are, you're way luckier than probably a lot of other people on earth. That's mm-hmm. something that, yeah, I know I was doing in my first pregnancy when I was kind of feeling a little sick and stuff. And I'm like, why am I complaining? There's people with cancer who are literally in a hospital bed all day who can't get out. Mm-hmm. I think I remember telling you, like, suck it up, Stephanie. <laughs> like, don't be a wuss about this because there's thousands of people that have everything, like, way worse than you. And, mm-hmm. like, just shut up. And yeah. what I think that really boils down to, what we're talking about, the way we have to sort of challenge ourselves. And, like, I think about it like that um, when when sports teams, like football players or basketball players, you know, like, get really riled up yep. for a game. We have to kind of do that and be like, who are you? Like, you're the boss. You know, <laughs> yeah. you have to talk to yourself that <laughs> sure, way. Yeah. Yeah. But what that really is, what, what the sort of foundation of that self-cheerleading experience is, is gratitude. Because you're expressing that you got conscious about how grateful you should be for what a great position you were in. And it wasn't ideal, but you were grateful that you weren't suffering in a worse way. And if you look at, again, data science, fascinating, right? I'm obsessed with the HeartMath Institute. And when HeartMath publishes information, when when they talk these studies that they're doing, one of the things that they realize is that if you want to literally change the wave of your heart, the energy in your body from frustrated to coherence, as they call it, the root emotion that affects heart coherence is gratitude. So when you start to apply it to your life, when you start to try to look at even the worst thing that might be happening to you through a lens of relative gratitude for what privilege you might still have, it changes your physiology. It makes you a healthier person. Yep. Yeah, I've read a couple books, and I think maybe you introduced me to a couple of them. Got the HeartMath solution on the bookshelf, yeah. So I was like, that sounds familiar. But yeah, about how much your mind can actually even change your body and how people who think a certain, you know, maybe negatively can actually... Like, it's shown that they can actually impact their body in a way, you know, developing. What was it? Get sick more often. Yeah, get sick more often. But actually, I think I remember it developing, like, tumors and things like that that maybe, you know, were never there beforehand. So, And it affects your cognitive ability. It's it's a lot. It's really... Reading that stuff is fascinating. I just went to my first training on heart math coherence. Oh, that's and awesome. literally got I got hooked up to a monitor and was oh, looking cool. at my at the waves of my heart on a screen and I was like, This is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> my best friend was like, Only you would be interested in that. And I said, There are other people who care. <laughs> I can. Did you uh, see you anything can... like interesting when you were hooked up to it and everything? Mm-hmm. What'd you see? They, they walk you through exercises of this five count of breath and and encourage you to focus your attention and energy on your heart. And you, and you walk through this breath and then you start to 
think. You just have to think about what you're grateful for and think about the positive emotions you want to feel. So you've pre-identified those things and you start thinking through this thought process and you can watch your heart change on a monitor. And then they encourage you to start thinking about what makes you stressed, the last thing that made you very angry. And you feel the physiological response in your body and you see your heart rate change. You see the shape of the waves that your heart is making change. And it's so drastic. And you're like, oh yeah, that's a stressed body. And the other body is a happy body. And we can start through these exercises changing the way we experience the world. And it's breathing and focus. It's, it's the kind of thing that you can do for free. You know, that could be your meditation every day. Yeah. Just taking, you could take five minutes, five times a day. So like a minute, five times to change your experience in your body. And it's a really good reminder for me when I do feel overwhelmed and like there's too many things and I'm never going to get it all done. And what do I even think I'm doing here? Like all of that. It's like, I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to breathe. I'm just going to, I'm going to put a different lens on it. That's like the Wayne Dyer quote of change the way you look at things and the things you look at change. For sure. All depends how you look at it. So I think maybe a good way to respect everyone's time to wrap this up. (laughs) Where do you view the next, you know, 10 years, 20 years of your life headed? What are your goals, ambitions? What do you see yourself working on? I have content that I want to make. And I think my scope for that has widened. I think about not just film and television, but I think about my podcast. I think about what that kind of journalistic media looks like. I think about the spaces I want to show up in there. I think about I think about writing more. And is that going to mean some sort of, uh, you know, regular platform or a column or a book? I don't know yet, but I, but I think about how much I enjoy writing and I'm excited to make space for it because I haven't really historically i'm i'm everything goes through the filter four no's or a no i feel so good after i get get writing done yeah it's Um, so good that's all the projects you mentioned are really exciting and uh you're working on a lot uh are we entering a golden age of media because it feels like creators now have access and there's Mm -hmm. capital flowing into the space there's new distribution platforms and everything um are you optimistic about the future of media I'm really optimistic about the future of media. I I obviously want us to figure out some sort of filter for truth to make sure that fake news, dangerous media, media created by bad actors with malicious intentions for democracy around the world gets filtered out and prosecuted and things like that. I think it can also feel a little hard because nobody knows where to go with anything because there's so many options and so many options in in certain arenas make people feel like there's actually less funding available because it's little amounts for lots of little things. But I also feel like we we are in this golden age where incredible things get to happen. You know, shows shows like the marvelous Mrs. Maisel are getting. Oh, I love that know? show. I love that show. I can't yeah. get. I can't take it. You see incredible creators like Lena Waithe having multiple shows on the air and doing deals at places like Amazon. You know, it's very exciting. It's an exciting time. I do feel optimistic despite the stressors that I know a lot of people in the creative industry feel, both and, I think. And and it makes me excited for what I want to do, to your point, in the next 10 years. And then something happens when you say, what about the next 20 years? And when I think about 20 years from now, I think about the first thing that comes to mind is political action for me. So I don't know if that means that, you know, by the time I'm like I have kids in college, I'll be running for office maybe. I I do think there is a an eventual period of my life where rather than being split between service and creation, I will just be 
fully focused on service because I, you know, I, I went service creation, then service creation hybrid. And then I think eventually I might just go service. We'll see. You know, I also don't know what the landscape is going to look like then. I have this like sort of nostalgic fantasy of like my grandmother years being spent like hammering gavels in the Senate or something. We'll see. Oh, what do you think that sounds about awesome, yeah. maybe where you end up? So yeah. that's awesome. You want to do a quick lightning round like we end some more interviews? Yeah, let's do it. Lightning rounds where you quickly answer whatever comes to mind. Let's do it. All right. So favorite workout? Strength training or boxing. That's a tie. Boxing's that's a good tie. one. Favorite book? Oh my God. That's like asking a parent to pick a favorite <laughs> child, I feel like. Or books. You can have a couple. Um, Doesn't have to be all-time favorite. Or most recent. Top one or two that come to mind. I... One of the best books I read this year was Educated by Tara Westover. I, oh, yeah. I literally read it in a day. I couldn't Got that on the down. Kindle. It's incredible. The Source of Self-Regard by Toni Morrison. Oh, what just, about fiction? Any so Have any fictional stories really impacted you or, or moved you in any way? Yeah, definitely. But it is interesting. I haven't, I haven't been reading a ton of fiction recently. I've been reading a lot of... A lot of historical books and a lot sure. of essays and a, and a lot of memoirs of people I find inspiring and and I'm also into you know weird like like heart math weird sort of uh, human science stuff. I'm reading a ton of Joe Dispenza right now. I just oh, like, I love him. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was like, it becoming supernatural? That was my favorite book. book. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's crazy that was such a good book. It's yeah. crazy good. So that's just sort of where I find myself at the moment. So other than this one and work in progress, uh, favorite podcasts? Any come to mind? Oh, on being with Krista Tippett. I think mm-hmm. she is so brilliant. I can't breathe. I love the daily. I love really just having a touch point to what we need to know in the world of sort of politics and current events in the U.S. Uh, and I love that it's 30 minutes. The New York Times is just perfect brilliant. length. Yeah. And I'm really liking their 1619 Project podcast. Okay. I, I got the physical piece on 1619, but the podcast is just beautiful. So I've been listening to that on Fridays as well. If someone were to narrate your life, who would you choose? Oh, that's so hard. <laughs> I feel like that's a perfect question for you. <laughs> I know. It's funny, though. I'm you can like, recast later. It's all right. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just trying to think. There, there are people whose voices just make me so happy. Yeah. My, my friend Brittany Packnett is a brilliant activist and author. She gave a TED Talk this year that if you haven't seen it, you have to watch it. It's unbelievable. And every time I hear her voice or she tells me a story, I'm so happy. So I would be thrilled if she wanted to narrate my life. I feel much that way about my friend Ryan Weiss, who's a brilliant coach and just has such a, an incredible perspective on how to live a life. I would love for Gloria Steinem to narrate my life. Her voice is the best. Her little giggle, I will never recover. I had a, she's my first guest on my podcast, and I, A, almost fainted, and B, like, every time I made her laugh, I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. <laughs> she's really special. That's, that's not awesome. a short answer, but I, I don't know how else to do it. We have some contenders. Okay. Definitely. Um, well, thank you so much, Sophia. This has been awesome. It's been uh, an honor to get to meet you, hang out with you, and work together on this. Uh, Hidden in Plain Sight, season one. Uh, it's out now. Everybody go download it. Work in Progress is out now. We'll link that up in the show notes. And any final advice or words of wisdom for all the listeners out there? Oh, my gosh. Just keep trucking. You know... <sighs> If I know anything, I know it's that we're all kind of having a hard time and all hopefully also enjoying it. So I think just if we can all continue to put our best feet forward, we'll we'll be okay. I love (laughs) love it. it. Don't forget to have fun, everybody. Yeah. See ya. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Hidden in Plain Sight is now available for your listening pleasure. 
Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app or by following the link in the show notes. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.